Dr. Podcast. Today we are talking to Deanna Payne and Michelle Paschal. Um, Deanna is a sixth grade English teacher. Michelle is a local sixth grade math teacher. And we will be talking to them about things you need to know over the summer, especially in this time of COVID and starting a new year. So Deanna and Michelle, first of all, thank you very much. Um, I, I want to, can you tell us just a, a little bit about yourselves, just a, a brief introduction, how long you've been doing this, what you love about teaching, we'll just leave it at that, um, and just kind of let our let people know a little bit about you. So Deanna, if I can start with you, just a quick introduction, how long have you been doing this, what's your favorite thing about teaching? Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um, I have been teaching for 30, I think 31 years, and um, it's all been in middle school. I've taught a little bit of everything from social studies, science, math, and English, but I love the English. I love teaching the language arts, um, a lot about literature and just what you can do with the book. So that's kind of my motivation. I enjoy watching the kids um just get it when they when they understand and they can progress. So that's kind of fun. And I like being able to start again every year with a new group of kids. It's like getting to start over. Um, and so that's that's me. That's why I do it. Well, thank you very much. So, Michelle, how about you? A little bit about yourself. Well, I've, I've also taught uh, for 31 years as well. Um, most of my time has been in math. I did have taught a couple years in science, but math has always been my favorite. Um, I thought I was going to be a high school math teacher. That was my original plan until I student taught in middle school, and I found that I just love the middle school student. Um, I like their energy. They're a lot of fun, and I always say that I'll continue teaching as long as I'm having fun, and I'm still having fun. Well, that is great. All right, so we have, if, if my math holds, about 62 years of experience in teaching <laughs> here on the line. So yeah. I want to talk a little bit, you know, we have a lot of issues normally with summer brain drain. And mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit, do you all see that where you all teach, where you've taught before, do you all see that as an issue where students leave sometime in late May, when they come back in late August, 1st of September, they've lost some of those skills. Do you see that? Is it truer in math and English? I'm just going to set that out there and let you all tell me about it. Um, I think that you do see some, some drain. If the students have been out of the not studying if they I mean they're not working and if they're just playing and having a good time in the summer then you might need to re um redo some some of the key information but in English I think it's it's once we start getting back in they start picking it up again um I don't know how do you feel about math Michelle and do you see more drain in math or um, well, I think, you know, at our school, we um, requ- we ask students, we require them to do summer reading, but we also ask them to do a summer math packet over the summer to kind of keep those skills sharp. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think it's important for any kid to have a pencil um, in either their right or their left hand over the summer in some form or fashion, um, whether that be, I used to do a workbook with my own son. Um, 
for math and for English, uh, but I do think it's important to do some things over over the summer, no matter what, no matter in our current situation, but even mm-hmm. in previous years, I think you, know, you, you want to mm-hmm. keep your kids um, reading and uh, doing math over the summer. So do you think it's going to be worse this year for a lot of our students? And, and I'm really talking to the parents of the students that struggle, that aren't motivated, parents who, who really are challenged to get their kids to do any sort of academic work over the summer. Do you think this year is going to be any different knowing that we ended early? A lot of our schools at least ended early and they changed how they were teaching and we don't have a good idea yet for the fall. Is this year going to be about the same, do you think, for a lot of students or do you think it's going to be a bigger challenge? I think it's going to be a bigger, a bigger challenge. Uh, now, some of my students actually did better during the uh, remote education. So there were some kids that really did a good job during that time. My own son um, seemed to do really well with online classes. But, yes, I think it depends on the system, um, the school system, and how much they actually did during that time that they had. But um, it is going to be different, and we don't know what the fall is going to bring. Um, so I do think that parents need to, to, you know, do some things over the summer and not just parents, maybe a grandparent could reach out. Maybe um, I've been working with my great niece some with her uh, high school math. So I do think there are other people just in, besides their parents who could also step up and help out. That's a great idea. Okay. So Deanna, what about you? Do you think that in, in moving forward this year is going to be any harder than previous years or with English, do you think it's going to be about the same? Well, I, I think for um, where I'm teaching, it, it won't be that much different um, because of the requirements. Like Michelle said, we, we do require um, summer reading and with that, that helps. So it would depend on the school and how much um, the kids are reading in the summer to to see as long as they're reading every day. I think that's going to be one of the key things for English just to keep their skills up. Um, but then writing as well. I mean, I don't think we're going to see um, a huge change, but if they never touch a pencil, if they never read a book, there's going to be a gap. So the best thing would be to get them interested in reading. Um, I think one of the things that we, that I've always pushed is that if it's a struggling reader, then why not get an audiobook where you can listen to the story being told as you are reading the text, not just listen to it, but they, the student should still be reading so they can follow along with it. And our local library, our Louisville Public Library, has um, some audio books that can be checked out. So that's another resource where if somebody wants to follow along and have somebody read to them, the, the kids can follow along with them. Um, while listening to the audiobook. That's a great idea. I know that um, our Louisville Free Public Library actually has that all online. So even though they haven't Mm -hmm. opened completely, they are beginning to do some curbside work and things. But as they're Mm -hmm. now opening up, you can do that all online, download those things, and those are Mm -hmm. all free of charge after you set up your, your account. So that's a great idea. Okay. So, so, and they have a um, the ten book challenge, which helps to motivate them. If they can read ten books and and log it with the library, 
there are rewards. I mean, there's certain things you get at the end, and there's a chance to even win, I think, a big gift card. Um, it's a, I think all the kids who do 10 books get put in a raffle, and they draw names. So it's a way to motivate. And I know that from a counseling perspective, food is all has as a reward is caught up in a whole lot of things. But I will tell you that mm-hmm. my sons have always done that really for the desserts and the coupons for some yeah. of the desserts. Right. That's big <laughs> motivator. <mine> <laughs> yes. Okay. So I want to talk for a minute. You all are fortunately working in a school system where you have parents that are very much involved. You have students that are for the most part, very highly motivated. So I want you to imagine yourself in a different position. I want you to imagine yourself in a, in a position where the parents don't have the time or don't know how to motivate their child or, or maybe even how to do the math. I mean, we might have some listeners here where the parents aren't even a, aren't a proficient reader or maybe not be a proficient reader in English, and they don't even know how to... To motivate their children, or I'll, I'll throw this one out, or, or maybe their child hasn't told them about a reading packet or a math packet that they're supposed to do, <laughs> and the parents don't have the ability to follow up or haven't followed up on that. So the parents are kind of at that disadvantage. What would you tell parents who are, are faced with that child that just doesn't want to do it? You know, we'll start out with math, Michelle. What would you tell that that parent, that family of a child that doesn't want to do the math, that doesn't think they'll ever use it? And, and I'll throw one more out there. Maybe they themselves are intimidated about some of this middle school math that their students doing because I don't understand this new math at all. So how do they how do they do that? Right. And math is, of course, uh, causes some people anxiety. Uh, but I think one thing that's key is real-life problem-solving. So I always encourage parents um, to come up with real-life problem-solving. So everyone goes to the grocery. Um, that's a good – right now people are ordering things online, so that's a good math problem in itself. Uh, they're ordering food, takeout. I just ordered a takeout meal today. So you have to figure out, you know, do you want to add a tip, 15%, 20%. Um, is there a shipping fee or do you get free shipping when you order $50 or more? So uh, I think those real-life problem-solving skills, you know, getting gas in your car, you know, how many gallons do you think it's going to take? How much money will that be? Um, so I think the summer always lends itself to real-life problem-solving. Um, a lot of families are doing projects at home. Maybe they're painting. Um, how many gallons? Let's measure the room. So I think, you know, those uh, real-life problem-solving activities. One of my friends, her daughters or um, twin daughters are going into um, eighth grade. And she said that the cookbook has been a real uh, math problem. So they are using the cookbook. The uh, rising eighth graders are um, getting the the food and they are doing the recipe. So she says it's been great for her as she works from home that her daughters are, uh, um, they sometimes have to uh, cut the recipes in half and double others, but there's a lot of uh, math involved. And then I think exercise, we know during this time in the summer, especially this summer, that kids need to get out and exercise, and that involves a lot of math. Are you going to, going to exercise for 20 minutes? Are you going to try to walk for three miles? Um, I have my son every day either ride his bike or take a walk um, every day, and we discuss, you know, as far as the length and, and the amount of time. So, 
board games, another one, card games. Um, families now, you know, I would encourage families to sit down and play some uh, uh, board games together and card games. There's always math involved in all of those things. That's a great idea. Now is the time to start teaching your students how to count cards so that when casinos back them back up. Uh, no, no, we're not recommending that. Just that is that is a joke there. Um, that, that's a great idea. I love, you know, the real life ideas, the online. I mean, figuring out the gas. You know, I know with with some of the coupons you get with gas, you know, you get so many gallons for a reduced price. And there's all sorts of, of simple or even more complicated math problems that you could you could roll up in that. Okay, let's stick with Michelle for just a minute. I've got one other question, and that is, okay. there's been a lot of this talk about the new math. And, in fact, you can find YouTube videos about it, and they've made fun of it with memes and all sorts of things. So I'm a parent. I learned how to do basic math a different way. Now, I know this is we're talking more of elementary and then some of this, but I've learned how to do math a different way than what my children are being taught now. Is that something I really need to worry about over the summer? Because if I don't know it, that might cause me as a parent some anxiety. What do I? What do you tell your parents? What do you tell your families in that situation? Any ideas? Okay. Well, at our school, the lower school does some of those different types of um, multiplication, um, lattice method, box method, uh, partial quotient. So some of those things that when we went to school, you know, that was not around. So I would say, you know, one, you know, I wouldn't worry about that. Usually in middle school, um, you know, we go to the more traditional methods, but I think those ideas are good to help kids try to learn, you know, what's happening and why is it happening. I do think one of the best things um, to do is to try to have a child explain something to the parent. So if you, know, you don't understand the method, see if they can explain it to you. And sometimes in doing that, they'll actually understand it better themselves. But I do think the key is, you know, to focus on things. Math facts are always going to be around. And so that's something. There's all kinds of apps and programs that you can do to help strengthen those math facts. But if you uh, don't know your facts, it's a little hard to do fractions and percents. I will reiterate, I think that's a great idea about having your child teach you something if you don't understand it. And even if you do understand it, you can pretend that you don't and have them explain it to you. I, I'm, I've taught as well, and I was a former math teacher. And in that, oh. I remember the day. Well, I remember the day I'm at the whiteboard, and I'm talking about division of fractions, and it hits me why you invert and multiply fractions. So I had been teaching for years, and all of a sudden, it hit me as I'm explaining that at this particular time why you do that. I never got that in any of my in any of my education classes and any of my own math classes. It took me teaching it to really begin to understand because it was always well you don't ask why you invert and multiply, and all of a sudden mm -hmm. I had to go deeper than that. So that idea of having your your children teach you can go a long way. That's a great idea there. Okay, mm -hmm. so Deanna, let me switch to you yeah. now. So now we're talking a little bit about English and writing, and we talk a little bit about reading. What about writing? I mean, and I can imagine, okay, we'll talk about English and reading a little bit because that's a problem, but let's go to writing first. How do I get my kids to write? Nobody writes. They, they text. <laughs> they type on a computer, maybe. But most of the time, they're, they're not doing any sort of writing, let alone pencil to paper. Is that important? How do I do that? Do I just let it go for the summer and let you all deal with it come August? What, how do I do that? 
No, I think um, what I'm doing with my own son is uh, there. there's a lots of ways you can incorporate writing in the summer. Just like what, when we were talking about real life math problems, there are things you can say, um, explain how, do a how-to paper. Like how did you build that Lego thing? Could you write that down for me? Or you could say, um, you really, really want to go um, somewhere or you want to play with someone or you really, you, you got in trouble and you want to, to have your freedom again. Well, write me a persuasive note telling me why I should allow you, you know, and so make it something that they can really um, be motivated to do because they really want the result. So, well, you, you can't go unless you write it down, write it, you know, let me know. Um, write a letter to their grandparents or anybody that is not um, in their home that they haven't seen in a while. Let's write a letter, you know, do that. Um, just, just to say what you've been doing and journal, journal your activities. Um, I think that if they're doing, like maybe they started a garden, a lot of people started doing things during this COVID outbreak that they didn't normally do. So maybe keep a journal about it. How does it look different today or every week? Let's write down what we notice. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can do with writing that doesn't sound too much like um, essay type writing, you know, it's just more practical everyday writing, but I think that can help, um, with there's a purpose involved. Is that something that's important? I mean, in, in today's classroom is that writing down thoughts, is it as important today as it was when we were in school? Absolutely. I mean, it's your thoughts are what you're reading. I mean, if you can't write a cohesive sentence, then it's you're not going to speak it that way and you're not going to read it that way. So it's really important to to get your thoughts down. Plus, um, you're you know where are you going to go in the future? You're, are you going to have a job interview and and be able to write down the information they want? Are you going to? Is it going to have a lot of errors in it? A lot of spelling that does make an impression. So I think just to say we we do need to write down what we're thinking we do now hand to paper some kids may have a better better um i don't know if it would be just there it's easier for them or maybe it's their um hand grip they might rather type and i don't think that matters so much in middle school whether it's typed or whether it's handwritten um i, I think as long as they're getting their ideas on paper and they're reading it to see if it's there, if it's fluent, you know, the fluent sentence is very, very important. Okay. So would you say that writing versus typing may not be as big of an issue? Would you say that writing or, or typing is more important than dictating? I would say in my own opinion, yes, that I do know that there are students that would need just because of their accommodations of whatever they they need there may be some students that need to be able to do text to type just because of um, ability so it I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all I think you've you've got to be able to get it down on paper and if dictating helps but once you dictate it there's 
always some error, you know, you've paused or it misheard you and right. wrote another word. And so you're still going to need to edit it and, and make sure it looks right. So even with the dictation, you're going to have to um, be able to proofread it. And that's a skill in itself. And that's great practice. You know, that's so, something that um, our, my high school English teacher that talked to us earlier said the same thing. He said, a lot of it is learning how to proofread your own work, and please make mm-hmm. sure you proofread your own work. But that is one of the things right. that, that he brought up. So I hear you say the same thing, that regardless of how you get it on paper, going back through and checking it is something that is is very important. So, right, so, and so, just read it. You know, read your writing out loud so that it, you can hear how it sounds. That's a great way to check it. Okay, so reading. So I don't have time to read. How do I know my kids are reading that book? I don't even know what that book is. They, it's a chore to get them to read every day or, or even once a week. Any ideas how to make this easier for me? Maybe um, <laughs> if they, um, there's some kind of reward involved, um, they find a book that they're interested in. I mean, it's so much. If it's a, a challenged reader, then it's all about getting them interested in it. So finding something, if they're into Pokemon, find a Pokemon book. If they're into Minecraft, find a Minecraft book. There's, there are novels written with these things in them, you know, with these themes. So I think um, if they're into nonfiction, you know, about how to do something, I would, I would say um, let's look for things that they're very interested in and do it with them. I mean, you, you can't, you can't assume they're doing it if, if they're really um, hesitant to, to read at all, then you've got to read with them. You've got to or have them read to you or read to their dog or read to their stuffies, you know, <laughs> read to something um, just to, to keep them reading. But it does need to be enjoyable if it's too hard, if the text is too hard, it's not going to be fun and they're not going to want to do it. So they're going to have to find a book that is um, probably a little less than their um, their grade level. They try to find something a little bit easier so that they can eat, read it and get understanding from it more so, so than just um, trying to struggle through text. Okay, so, so I hear saying keep up with the summer may not be so important to advance in the summer and be pushing yourself so hard just to make sure if rather than lose and not read anything reading something even if it's not at your grade level is better than nothing at all exactly yes okay so last question to both of you and that is if you could tell your students your families one thing that you want them to do over the summer from your subject matter or or beyond one thing, please keep this in mind in light of COVID-19 and how schools ended and how schools are beginning. What would be the one idea, the one thing you would want your families to know or to do in light of where we are? So, Michelle, what would be the thing you would want them to to remember or, or tackle? Well, it's hard to, to narrow it to one, but I'm going to go with with playing games. So I would really encourage families and kids to, to play games. Um, there's a lot of good games out there. Um, 
Yahtzee is one that I recently played. I will admit we didn't pull out the old Yahtzee game. We played it on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> um, but they have a lot of new uh, board games that are on the Switch, and um, there's a lot of math invo- involved in that. So I think, you know, now is the time families have more time uh, to do things together as a family. So I would really encourage, um, and again, you know, if you do have a um, – a grandparent or someone else uh, to to play with. I think that is great too. Grandparents will usually do about anything with their with their grandchildren. You know, I I, I love that idea. We we've been playing too. We pulled out the old taboo game, and, <laughs> and and it really caused them to critically think about new ways of explaining a concept using a word. And by the way, that's a dated game now. You know, but I have it. it. It was a great. It was a great experience. And the other one that my my oldest introduced me to was a game called golf, the card game golf, and just the memory of what you do when you do it and how it works. It really causes you to to not only critically think, but that attention span and all of that is right there. So. I know you struggled with one, but I, th- I think you picked a, a picked a good one to go with. All right. Mm-hmm. So, Miss Deanna, what would be the <laughs> one thing that you would want your families to either take away or remember or do in light of where we are this summer? I would um, strongly urge everyone to read together. Um, get out a book and get you know, have a reading time, a set reading time, whether it's right before bedtime or a quiet time in the afternoon. If the kids see the parents modeling, it's more likely they'll do it as well. But find a book. If if they're reluctant, if the parents are reluctant readers as well, maybe those audio books, you know, I think that we kind of forget about that resource. But when you have um, someone that has professionally recorded a novel using the different voices of characters, it helps so much bring somebody into the story. And so I think check out the library resources, um, find some audiobooks, find one that they're interested in, look for their, their interests and just do a search and, and find something that they can all participate in. So I think that's a home run as well. I think that, Deanna, you're academically, I think you're right there. It's a, as a matter of, a, I think we get a lot from that. We know that the one thing that you can do for your preschool children above everything else is read to them. Reading to them takes everything up a notch. We know that nothing mm-hmm. compares to that. So I think that's a, a home run. Michelle, I'm still going to give you the uh, another win because yours sounds like a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say though that uh, uh, one thing that we invested in in our house for reading is a hammock. It's a lot more fun to read in a hammock. Oh, there you go. That's a great yeah, idea. I like that. We have that. a treehouse. We can we can do it in the treehouse. Yes. <laughs> read in the treehouse. Yes. That is. Right. Those are great ideas. All right. Well, Miss Deanna, Miss Michelle, both uh, sixth grade teachers from a, from one of our local schools. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time today and joining us and giving us some great ideas on how to um, get our students, get our families engaged in this time. I really appreciate you all coming on, and um, hopefully we will be able to do it again sometime. Thank you all very much. Thanks again for tuning into the Doc P Podcast. The music today was performed by Lexington-based piano trio Sole de Gloria, performing music composed by the pianist Ethan Neal. 
You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at solidaygloria.pianotrio. Thanks to my sound editor, Chaz Pemberton, my son, and Tom's the inspiration for these mental health moments. You can find me on Facebook at Dimensions Family Therapy or Twitter at Dr. P. Louisville. That's D-R-P Louisville. Thanks again. Thank you.